Welcome to South Asia Chat, a podcast brought to you by the Institute of South Asian Studies at the National University of Singapore. My name is Ramita Ayer and I'm a research analyst at the Institute. In June 2022, the Indian Defence Minister announced the Agnipat scheme for recruitment in the Indian Armed Forces. The announcement, however, has been faced with intense backlash from youths sparking violence in various parts of the country. Despite the resounding opposition to the scheme on the streets, top defence personnel have clarified that there will be no rollback of the scheme. To make sense of this developing issue and offer a quick analytical take on the motivations behind the Agnipat scheme and the challenges that it faces, I'm joined by Dr. Yogesh Joshi, a research fellow at ISAS. Yogesh, welcome to South Asia Chat. Thank you, Ramita. Glad to be here. To start off, can you tell us about the Agnipat scheme and how it differs from the existing channels of recruitment within the Indian Armed Forces? Yeah, that's uh, that's the crux of it in a sense. For clarifying the Agnipat scheme, we need to first understand how the recruitment actually happens. Uh, so the Indian Armed Forces, as they are structured right now, almost 1.5 million active personnel and 1.4 million reserves. Uh, making India's military forces second to China in terms of numbers. Uh, that constitutes 1.2 million of outstanding army, uh, you know, uh, the ground forces, a navy of 70,000 personnel and an air force of 140,000 personnel. Uh, now, what happens currently is at the level of the soldiers, you know, the foot soldiers, uh, they are, in some sense, it's a permanent commission. Uh, that you get recruited in the army for your life, uh, depending upon that you rise consistently in the military hierarchy. But at least a recruit serves for at a minimum of 20 to 25 years. And uh, depending upon whether he rises further in the rank, because the military has to uh, continue having a young profile, uh, they are phased out depending upon whether they are rising in the military hierarchy or not. And the same happens with the officer uh, you know, Carter as well. Uh, so it's not a not um, for life kind of permanent commission, uh, but it does involve almost 20 to 25 years uh, of a recruits or a soldier's, you know, uh, working life in a sense. Uh, now, the downside of it is that all these recruits, after at least 18 years of service, go back with a pension for life. Uh, Dagnipat's king tries to undo that, uh, you know, that, that manpower crowding uh, in the Indian Armed Forces. It's, it is trying to rejuggle the military out of this structure of permanent commission. Uh, you know, so what would follow is a kind of a short commission uh, into the Armed Forces uh, where young recruits will be uh, given a tour of duty, as they call it, of four years in total, including six months of training. Uh, now, after four years of serving in the military, 75% uh, of this lot uh, would be phased out. Uh, and during uh, that period of four years, they would have a consistent salary, uh, a, a medical insurance. And when they, are, when they leave the forces after four years, they will have a lump sum amount of around 12 lakh rupees, 24,000 Singaporean dollars, or roughly 18,000 US dollars, so to say. Uh, now, the reasons behind, and out of, so 75% will be phased out, but 25%, depending upon the merit, 
would get in some sense a permanent commission. Uh, so it would retain that some of that experience uh, into the armed forces. Uh, now, what this would do is to reduce the average age uh, in the armed forces, which is currently at around 32 to 35, to almost 24 to 25 years of age. Uh, it would, pro you know, it would lead to a lot of savings uh, for the government, for the exchequer, particularly that because uh, one, once a soldier uh, retires with a pension, uh, you know, the government has to foot the bill for the rest of his life. And even if he dies, uh, his dependents get to get 50% of that pension. Uh, so that's, that's a huge, you know, uh, uh, burden on the exchequer. And there is also this idea that that would pro that this tour of duty would provide certain kind of discipline, uh, you know, and training to India's youths. And uh, with that kind of training and mindset from the military forces, you know, they would be able to uh, be successful uh, even outside uh, when they leave the forces. Uh, so that's that's the crux of the Agnipat scheme. So in a sense that this process of uh, tour of duty of four years is called the Agnipath, which is the process. Uh, but those 25% who would be retained out of that uh, that four years tour of duty uh, are called Agnivirs. You know, so so that's sometimes it kind of you know Agnipath and Agnivir kind of becomes uh, you know it it is kind of confusing, but that's uh, that's the difference between the two. So I want to focus on one of the things that you mentioned, which is that one of the primary motivations for this scheme has been based on economic cons uh, considerations. So currently, salaries and pensions account for more than 50% of India's defense budget, while less than 5% is devoted to research and development. Can you tell our listeners how the Agnipat scheme can help address this expenditure disparity? Right. So as I told you that the Indian Armed Forces, particularly the Indian Army, is heavy in manpower. Uh, you know, and rightly so, because it's such a huge population. Um, and there is, and the, in some sense, the armed forces provide a steady source of income, uh, you know, as an occupation, which has also has a lot of respect in the society. So it's quite attractive, um, you know, for young youths. Now, if you look at India's defense budget, uh, India spends around roughly 2% of its GDP on, uh, on its military which constitutes around $76.6 billion, uh, you know, to be precise. Now, 57% of this budget actually goes into paying pensions and salaries, uh, which is a huge amount for any military, so to say. And, uh, but the worrying trend has been that over the last 20 years, the pensions part of it is, in the, 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 the pensions part of it has steadily increased uh, to almost 12% uh, of the defense budget annually. Uh, by annually, in, annual incremental increase of 12% uh, in the last 20 years. That's a lot of money. Um, and what it does is uh, it creates a huge uh, dilemma, um, particularly in a resource, you know, fundamentally, uh, it is about resource crunch. You know, you there is only that much of a pie which can be distributed uh, within uh, the, the nation's, the, uh, India's, uh, you know, budgetary allotments. Uh, so what the government is trying to do, and this has been, uh, you know, proposed for quite 
quite some time. In fact, the Cargill Review Committee after the Cargill War also proposed to cut down on uh, salaries and pensions. Uh, so it frees a lot of money uh, from the for the government, particularly in 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 a situ in a situation where the economy is not doing very well. Uh, but also the armed forces are suffering uh, because of lack of modernization. And as the, the, the modern war becomes highly technological, uh, there is an increasing feeling uh, that India might be uh, fighting wars of the 20th century rather than the 21st century with a kind of uh, uh, organizational structures and uh, technological infrastructure we have compared to uh, you know, uh, the heavy emphasis on manpower. Uh, so, whatever money is going to be saved, and this will take time, uh, you know, over the years in a sense, uh, the, the, the idea is that it can help uh, India modernize its military to fight the wars of 21st century. Uh, and therefore, uh, and this again brings down to, I think, the problem here is India's growth as well, you know, which has in some sense stalled. Uh, when you're growing at 10%, uh, you can do a lot more. When you're going, growing at 5 or 6%, you are highly constrained. And at the end of the day, you know, military strategy fundamentally rests on resources. Uh, so, uh, you know, uh, so the, with, with the Agnipat scheme, the, 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 the government is trying in a sense, to uh, you know, balance that lopsided nature of India's defense spending, which goes a lot into uh, you know uh, into aspects which uh, doesn't really cater to India's warfighting capabilities. So another thing that you mentioned right at the start was that the scheme will help the army have. Uh, a younger force and this was also emphasized by defense minister rajnath singh in his announcement where he said that there would be a younger fitter and diverse armed forces in the country so while having a leaner and younger army is desirable in the long run experts have cast doubts that the scheme will compromise on military ethos and efficiency what are your thoughts on this and do you think that the military is ready for such a transition uh so the military effectiveness you know rests on a number of aspects. One is training, planning, equipment, organizational clarity of what your missions are and how you're going to achieve them. Uh, but it's also fundamentally about intangibles like motivation. Uh, you know, so, so a lot of aspects go into understanding of military efficiency. Now the question, Agnipath raises a number of questions on all of these aspects. So six months training compared to nine months training for a recruit. And he, over a period of 20 to 25 years he serves, he goes from basic training to, into specialized training over, a over that whole period. Uh, you know, so the first, first doubt basically is that whether the training being offered uh, is adequate enough. Uh, you know, and there is no aspect of specialization within those four years. Um, and how would you do that? because the time is so constrained. Uh, planning is the other aspect of it. So the, ski, the reform, uh, the Agnipath reform, is going to bring a huge disruption uh, you know, in terms of how the military is constituted, how it is run, uh, you know, how it uh, plans uh, to fight wars for that matter. And is the military ready 
to accept those disruptions and has planned uh you know to 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 minimize uh the 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 mitigating effect of this huge organizational disruption third is equipment in a sense you know so one looks at four years of training uh and four years of the agnipat scheme and uh one wonders whether the 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 soldiers who are coming in and being trained would be able to handle equipment and this is a bigger worry for technologically more sophisticated forces like the air force and the navy uh compared to the army uh, you know which is still operates in a sense you know is particularly in the infantry uh you know the the equipment is far less sophisticated uh compared to the air forces and uh the navy uh, but even in the army when if one looks at uh you know uh, uh the technologically more sophisticated arms within the army which is basically signals for that matter or uh, you know uh, motorized infantry or the armor corps uh, where you need certain sense of technological uh, you know grasp of equipment uh, the the doubt is whether you would be able to handle the equipment in that short span of time the third is uh, the organizational clarity within the military so is the military ready in a sense to imbibe this to accept this reform while being clear on what its missions are and particularly when you look at uh, the manpower intensive missions which the indian army does uh, it does counter insurgency on one hand uh, particularly uh, all over the country uh, you know whether in the northeast or in kashmir uh, it has to hold forces uh vis a vis china which is uh, you know where the 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 deployment on the sino indian border particularly from the chinese side has seen uh increasing aggrandizement over the last 10 years uh and you also need to maintain a superior level of force against pakistan uh you know so uh, which is which is one of your military strategies so is there that organizational clarity within the military uh, to kind of accept this reform while uh, you know of being focused on the missions um, the numerous missions it has and being able to deliver on that but lastly i think the larger questions have been raised on motivation uh, so for a soldier who is going to serve for 20 to 25 years has prospects to rise uh, in the military chain of command you know um, has much more intermeshing uh you know with his colleagues and fundamentally at the end of the day you know in any war you fight for the soldier next to you uh you know so that's that's the primary motivation uh which which guides you in in, in facing uh the consequences of death so to say uh so would there be that much of cohesion and that much of motivation uh in 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 uh in 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 a military force which is uh mostly being mostly uh you know constitutive constituted by you know uh by soldiers who have to just serve four years in the military uh and have the whole of their life ahead of them uh so those are some of the major concerns which are being raised uh you know and rightly so um uh, and these would have to be 
considered both by the government and the military chain of command. Uh, moving on now to uh, the response that we've seen to the announcement. There have been violent demonstrations protesting the scheme uh, in different parts of uh, India. And a major reason cited by the protesters uh, seems to be the lack of job security within the Agnipat scheme. And this uh, really ties in back uh, to the lack of permanent uh, commissioning that you mentioned right at the start. In a country where unemployment is rampant and recruitment for the armed forces has not been carried out for the past two years due to the COVID-19 pandemic, the scheme has become all the more contentious. So in terms of employability, what are the risks and challenges that you foresee? Uh, so, you know, after the railways, I think, or even before the railways, railways and the military are two of the biggest uh, employers, uh, public employers, public sector employ employers in uh, the Indian setup. Uh, you know, the railway recruits a lot of manpower, the military recruits a lot of manpower. Uh, and for some uh, for some regions, and I come from one of those regions where uh, it is not only a question of honor to serve in the military, but it's also a question of livelihood. Uh, you know, so in my village, every family has one or the other into the military, and that provides uh, some kind of an anchor to, for the whole family, in a sense, uh, you know, so it's 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 an economic anchor which is uh, extremely important, um, uh, and and it's a profession which brings you some kind of economic uh, some kind of economic stability, um, with but also a lot of respect in the society. Uh, so for the youth, I think the military has always been quite enchanting. Uh, you know, both because of economic aspects as well as the social aspects of it. Uh, now, they have the, the question is that how would uh, you know people who are looking at the military as a way of rising the social and the economic ladder, uh, you know, uh, react uh, to a scheme where they are being deprived of something they have looked forward to. Uh, for most of their life, in a sense, and see that as one of one of the best ways uh, to 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 stabilize uh, their their living conditions and their life, uh, and that in some sense resulted into uh, you know uh, the the protests and um, and what followed after the reforms. Now it's difficult to predict how this reform will eventually pan out. Uh, one can say that it might pan out like uh, the demonetization uh, or the farm laws. Uh, but that's, by taking those examples, it's uh, an analysis in hindsight. There are a number of positives as well which can come out of this, this scheme. Uh, one is definitely the, you know, the big elephant in the room is that there is only so much money. You know, so you all governments and all st countries have to decide to prioritize uh, within that small pie of resources they have. Uh, so, in some sense, if it can bring that respite to the Indian exchequer, it's a welcome move. Uh, again, as I said, it would uh, be only known in maybe in ten years of time because you need to have that much of time 
to see whether you are whether the pensions are the pension part of the defense budgets are actually decreasing with this scheme uh but it can also help a lot of india's youngsters to find better opportunities you know at the end of the day uh, being trained by the indian military uh, provides a certain kind of discipline provides a certain kind of ethos uh, provides a certain sense of motivation uh, you know to to serve in the military and that that culture that training uh, can help you uh, you know sustain yourself after you leave the military and we have you know the 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 people who take even premature retirement from the military have succeeded uh in being great entrepreneurs for that matter uh, uh but it also socializes you uh you know in some sense into thinking about problem solving uh, uh but one of the major aspects of it is that those 12 lakh rupees which you get in your hand provide you certain amount of capital to pursue uh specialized trainings for that matter you know education which you want which but you cannot uh you know sponsor or uh, go for some kind of entrepreneurship uh that's the idea behind the scheme in a sense and that 12 lakhs is a huge amount of money uh you know in the hands of a 21 22 23 years of age uh you know uh, that young uh young fellow uh you know they can go into technical aspects of it if you are being technically trained uh, whether you are serving in the signals or the air force or the navy uh, you can go into logistics uh human resource management entrepreneurship uh so there is in a sense also depends upon the individual uh but the agnipat scheme aims to and i'm saying aims to because we don't know the results as of now that will only come you know we can only analyze it after the first tour of duty of 4 years is finished uh can provide you those basic structures uh to be more successful uh in in the society finally looking at potential implementation challenges uh one striking difficulty that i observe has been with respect to getting all the stakeholders on board the scheme we've already witnessed violent backlash just like we discussed and this is particularly important because uh, a lack of consultation with relevant stakeholders is something that uh, the modi government has been accused of in the past as well uh, could you throw some light on this and and are there any other challenges that you foresee uh right so you know so so one of the problems with the modi government is its history of reforms uh yeah, you know and not and how they have panned out uh so there is one reference point of that uh, uh but i'm not so pessimistic uh you know uh, i think i accept that there are a number of challenges uh but we will only come to know of the success or the failure of the scheme as i said before after the first tour of duty is over in next 4 years the challenges which i think uh the government as well as the military has to confront are first that it does not disrupt the culture of india's armed forces uh you know uh, so that is the first one uh that second that the military efficiency should not be compromised the third is that it is go- it is a very difficult period uh 
uh, for india's external security uh, you know the the threat from pakistan and particularly the counter insurgency in kashmir is still uh, quite intensive uh, but the larger problem is china and the kind of uh, forces china has put on india's borders which are not only increasing in numbers but also technologically quite sophisticated so the government as well as the military hierarchy has to see that the reforms which are being brought in uh, does not lead uh, to a situation uh, where india might not be able to defend uh, what it aims to defend uh, particularly both against pakistan as well as china so you need to have that surety uh, that while continuing the reforms you still have that buffer where you can uh, you know take on on the challenges thrown by both china and pakistan head on uh, the fourth challenge which uh, the military and the government would would have to uh, you know confront is that to to make the policy successful because if you are creating such a disruptive reform and not following it up with success uh then you then the risks of investing in such a reform are huge uh, it would be very difficult for the military to go back uh to the old forms uh of its uh, of its organizational structure uh you know the government would be uh, it would be also very difficult uh for the government to back paddle uh so where do you where, where if the scheme doesn't succeed uh you indian both the indian military and the political decision makers would be uh in a very difficult situation and the main thing they have to ensure is that the primary reason for it which is basically saving enough money to put into capital investments into the military particularly the technology actually comes through you know so uh, you know the government at some point in time should not back paddle uh, on these savings and and throw it somewhere else uh, you know which is very common in democracies so to say and uh, do not provide the military uh, the the technology the equipment it requires and lastly i think the question would be of rehabilitation you know how do you rehabilitate uh, these youngsters who are now trained uh, in violence or perpetrating violence and that's what uh, a soldier's first job is uh, you know uh, uh, to to rehabilitate them into the society where uh, they actually uh, you know uh, provide in some sense constructively engage with the society with the economy uh, rather than uh, uh, rather than facing a situation where it's difficult to manage uh, youths you who have been trained in perpetrating violence uh, and that as some sociologists would say might lead to extreme militarization of the indian society uh but i am not so pessimistic in a sense because at the end of the day they cannot be foolproof security or foolproof you know insurance against some kind of militarization 
but more or less there is a feeling uh, that such a tour of duty would result in uh, you know in, in creating a more disciplined society a more entrepreneurial society uh, you know a society which is more constructively engaged particularly the youth uh, then when they uh, do not even have a prospect of uh, getting employment at the first place so to say uh, there is in some sense can be and I'm just thinking about it uh, some kind of hidden agenda within the BJP as well you know the militaries are sociologically quite conservative uh, you know uh, so BJP might be looking at creating a new constituency which in years to come would vote for a more conservative uh, you know government uh, and if you can actually look at the numbers the military in disproportionate amounts or uh, military families in disproportionate amount are highly nationalistic uh, you know and as well as conservative in their outlook that's what militaries are uh, so there is an element of political socialization down the line uh, but that's just a surmise well thank you so much for joining us today yogesh you were listening to south asia chat to learn more about our work visit us at isas.nus.edu.sg you can also get updates on social media we're on twitter linkedin facebook and instagram mm-hmm.